0: Thanks, guys. Let me tell you something really cool that happened yesterday. I was praying with a cancer patient in my office, and they never, ever, ever rehearsed outside my study door. And that's where they were rehearsing, and you have no idea when we got done, he commented to hear them singing about comfort and joy while we were praying for healing from cancer. God's a sovereign God. He always orchestrates all things for our good, doesn't he? I just thought that was an incredible thing that happened yesterday. Yeah, give, give the Lord a hand of praise for that. I just thought it was cool. Well, I want to talk to you this morning about the color of Christmas light. We've been in the series on light uh, for the whole month of December, and I want to wrap it up today. Uh, we've talked about how the prologue, the first 18 verses of the book of 1 John, tell us that Jesus was the light of the world, and that everything that was created was created by Him, through Him, and for Him. And the Bible also tells us that He is the light of life. We know, and I wouldn't tell you anything that you didn't know, but I'll remind you that without light, there is no life. And so, the Scripture takes us back and brings us to these memories of what we need to know that Christ is the light of life. But today what I'd like to do is to take all of those messages that we've looked at in this series and talk to you about some colors that I have chosen, going through the Bible and just picking out some of the symbolic meanings of color, and to talk about how those reflect the life of Jesus. And here's my prayer. My prayer is that God will speak to you in a particular area of your life. I have sought Him, I've said, Lord, I don't want our Christmas services just to be another warm, sentimental, fuzzy religious experience, I'm asking you to speak to each of us, and on Tuesday night, speak to each of our lost friends and neighbors that we bring to this service. Because every one of us are in different circumstances in life. And every one of us face circumstances in life that we're having to struggle with, or deal with, or overcome. Whether it's a health issue, or a financial issue, or a relational issue, Whatever that issue is, each of us are dealing with issues, and none of us are separate from that. What I also want you to know is you can't celebrate Christmas without light. And when you drive through my subdivision, for instance, last night as we were coming home after our prayer service, Amy said, Dad, look how pretty all the lights are. You can't celebrate Christmas without light. You look at the stage this morning and how they've decorated with light, and I'm sure your tree is decorated with lots of lights like ours are. And when I look at the lights, I'm reminded of Martin Luther talking about how that Christ was the light of the world and setting The candles, and boy, who of us would do that today? Setting live candles upon a Christmas tree for Christmas Eve to remind them of the light of Christmas. And so I want you to know that this is not merely symbolic. In the first message in this series, I told you about how I took a group of students spelunking in a wild cave. We spent the night. We spent two days crawling through a mountain. And some of the most fascinating things I've ever saw in my life, But we were tired, and when we finally got to the other end after an arduous two days hike and climb, we've climbed cliffs, we had to crawl through mud, and we were cold, we were tired, we were hungry, we were dreaming about a hotel and hot showers and a swimming pool. Somebody called out, I see the lights! And all of us just kind of picked up our pace and our energy and courage because seeing the light come out of the opening where we were going to exit the mountain from, it just brought joy to all of us. And so, I want you to know that what I'm talking about today with these colors, it's not merely symbolic. It's dynamic. It's powerful. It's alive. And it is the plan and the will of God for each and every one of us. Can you say amen to that? It's the plan and the will of God. So, would you stand with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Father, It's not my words, it's not the words of Martin Luther, but it's Your Word that declares to us that Jesus in the void and the chaos of darkness, You created light. Lord Jesus, it's Your Word that tells us that, God, You created that light through Your Son, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. None of us are begotten, Lord. We are loved, we are chosen, we were born but Jesus who is eternally subsistent with you. Jesus who has internal existence in Himself. To help us understand you, you reveal yourself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And So now, Lord, we're going to tackle one of those things that anyone can understand if they'll just simply pay attention to the Word. And we ask for the help. We ask for the illumination of the Holy Spirit I pray that everyone here today will not just be passive, Lord. It is not your desire that I spoon-feed anybody, but that I preach the Word of God in its truth and in its power. And that, Lord, we take the Word of the Lord in, and we chew it and digest it. For Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And He's the light of my life. And so I'm asking you, Lord, supernaturally right now, touch us. And help us to encounter you in a fresh and new way today. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody who wants that to happen said, amen, amen and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Well, the first light I want to talk to you about is the light of purple, the color. Because purple represents royalty. It represents the royal birth of Jesus. There were so many prophecies regarding the power and the Word of God that would bring forth Jesus in the virgin birth, that would bring forth Jesus in a little, tiny, insignificant town called Bethlehem that some even scoffed that there the Messiah would be born. One scientist put together, and Josh McDowell quotes him, if you've ever read his books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, that all of these prophecies about the, the, the birth of Christ, just the birth of Christ, would be 1 in 10 to the 17th power. Now, that's a lot of zeros, and I couldn't even find a Google site to tell me what that number was. As I typed in those zeros, I'm sure some of you might know, and you can enlighten me later. But that's a lot of zeros. A few years ago, I put all those zeros up on the screen, and it kind of boggled our minds. One one scientist said that if you were to take silver dollars and stack them up two feet high across the state of Texas. If you were to stack silver dollars two feet high across the state of Texas, mark one of those silver dollars, and then blindfold a man and say, now you go pick out that silver dollar, that's the likelihood of all of these prophecies being fulfilled in the birth of Christ. It's amazing to me When we look at this newborn king and we sing about this newborn king, this son of David, this son of God, this prince of peace, this king of all kings that was born, how magnificently he fulfilled those prophecies. It's why Peter writing to comfort and encourage the church in 2 Peter chapter 1, not to to encourage them to believe in Jesus the Messiah, but to encourage them and their sufferings and their trials, that there was a ruler, there was a Messiah watching over their lives. And so, read these words with me out loud this morning. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. If I were you, I would underline those words or that phrase in that Scripture made more sure. Because what God wants to remind you of this morning is that magnificent number 1 in 10 to the 17th power... That we are not believing in a fantasy. We are not believing in something that is not true. But our hope rests on something solid, the prophetic word of God. And Jesus wonderfully fulfilled those prophecies. And I think about those promises and those prophecies. I look around this room this morning and I realize two things are true about every one of us in this room. Number one, every one of us have probably clung to a promise from God. That God has held out a promise to us in our marriage. God has held out a promise to us about our family. God has held out a promise to us about our health. God has held a promise out to us about life. And we latched on to that promise. And if you've latched on that promise and you've found that God has been true to His Word, would you say a big amen this morning? There are many of us in this room that can testify of how God has healed us or how God has delivered us, how God has broke the power of bondages and addictions in our lives. The second thing that's true about every one of us is every one of us need to hold on to a promise to God, from God for our lives today that every one of us have a need or we're facing a circumstance or a challenge in our life. And it's the reason that the Scriptures tell us to remember the birth of Jesus. 1 in 10 to the 17th power, that Word was made more sure. Look at me now. That promise, that promise that you're clinging to today, that promise has been made sure not only by the Word of God, but by the blood of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that this morning? Hallelujah. Sometimes when I'm talking to people, they'll say to me, Pastor, it's just fantasy land that you live in. They told Becky and that, I that so many times about various needs. I can remember being told by doctors, I can remember the own vice president of the college that I went to telling me one time, you don't belong in this college, you, you don't belong here, you can't study here, you don't have the mind for it. I can remember the counselors telling me with the Georgia vocational department saying, you don't have the mind to be able to do this, the fevers that you've had running and sustaining them for so long, you won't be able to successfully c- complete an academic degree Friends, it was my privilege not only to go to college and go to seminary, it was my privilege to sit on the board of that school and later greet that vice president as a member of the officiating board. With God, there is nothing impossible. Those promises have been made more sure forever and ever and ever. (laughs) Hallelujah! Never doubt, never underestimate the power of God in your life. Never underestimate the promises of God in your life. Darkness can never quench what God wants to do for you. So I would say three things. Number one, receive the promise that God has given you. Receive the Word of the Lord. Yesterday I prayed with the family with their elderly father, and as we stood by that bedside of that elderly father and we prayed for him, Friends, the question was asked, do we have authority over these things? Can we trust God? The only authority we have is in Jesus, but our authority comes from the Word of God. If you disbelieve the Word of God and you doubt the Word of God, then the book of James says you're like a double-minded man. So if you ask somebody to pray with you, you know if I prayed with you before, I've asked you the question, do you believe God wants to do this in your life? Because if you don't believe God wants to do this in your life, there's no need in me praying for you. Now, the fact that it doesn't happen in the timetable you want it to happen, you know, we have to leave that with God. Or the fact that He doesn't answer the prayer we want Him to answer the way that we want Him to answer it, we have to leave that with God. But it does no good to come to God and say, God, I need you to do this, but then you don't believe that He's going to do it. You see, your faith, there were times when Jesus said to people, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you whole. So I say to you again this morning, the prophetic word has been made more sure for you so that you could cling to it. And the second thing I'd say is, be willing to wait for the promise that God has given you. Be willing to wait upon God. I want to take us back one more time because for me, this has been a miracle Where Fred and I had prayed before, and that he wanted to see his entire family here in church together. And that never happened in Fred's lifetime. But on that day I preached his funeral and you gathered with us to worship and to comfort Carlene and the family. All of Fred's family was gathered here on these front four rows together. And God had answered the prayer of Fred. And I'm telling you this morning, Fred stands in heaven fully alive. He doesn't rest in a cemetery. He is in the presence of Jesus Christ the promise of God, the prophetic Word of God, one day this same Jesus shall return. And I can't wait for that day. And then the final thing I'd say to you here is, when you possess hope, when you possess the hope that God has given you, you are exhibiting wisdom, not foolishness. You're exhibiting wisdom, not cynicism. You're exhibiting exhibiting wisdom and not fatalism. And I would much rather work and live among hopeful people than to work with the cynics who never get anything done anyway. It's why God calls us to hope. This prophecy, Isaiah 42, 6, I selected and sent you to bring light and my promise of hope to all the nations, wasn't just for Jesus, but it's for you and I. Because of the light of Christ living in us, Jesus says to us, you are the light of the world No one lights a lamp and puts it underneath a bushel. Friends, God has put us here to shine with the light and the glory of Jesus Christ. So when I look at light, and I see the purple lights on our tree, and I see the purple in so many colors, I'm reminded again of the prophecies, the promises fulfilled in Christ. Secondly, when I look at amber, I think about the fresh start, the color of sunlight, from where I have my devotions in my chair, and I don't know if you remember a few years ago, we put a chair here and we talked about the importance of having the same spot, the same chair, the same place where you, you go to meet with God every day. And there, as I go and I meet with the Lord, I always open up the blinds. Sometimes I see the moon, but as I'm sitting there reading and praying for those early morning hours, and I confess that it doesn't always happen in the wintertime, but especially in the summertime. I see the first color of sunlight begin to hit the sky, and I realize it's a fresh start to the new day. And I realize in the month of January, when we have 30 days of straight gray weather in the, month, in the state of Michigan. And friends, aren't you going to be glad when Jesus comes back and the curse is removed from the world and we don't have gray days for 30 days again? You know, when He comes back and the Son of God, when the Son is not even needed because of the glory of God, but when I, I think about the color of amber and I see the yellow lights on our tree, the amber colored lights, or I, I see the amber light in what we call a caution light at a traffic signal, i remind reminded that God gives us a fresh start in life. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 2, and you're very familiar with this. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. How many of you know who that was? Well, call it out. Who was that? The magi, the wise men. Well, what you may not know is they were following a prophecy from the book of Numbers and how we believe, we believe, scholars believe these guys came all the way from Persia, which is Iran. How they found this passage of scripture, but they have come to worship him that would be born king of the Jews. It was a prophecy made 1400 years before the birth of Christ. And 1400 years later, these pagan astrologers that scholars believe that they were, these wise men or these three kings, as the hymn says, they came to worship Christ, who is the king of the Jews. And you know, I want to tell you, when you see this prophecy, you're going to kind of shake your head and wonder, but read this one out loud with me this morning, if you would. From the book of Numbers, chapter 24, I see him, read it with me, I see him, but not here and now, I perceive him, but far in the distant future, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel, and it will crush the head of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. And you go, wow, why is that such a great prophecy? Well, if you were a Jewish person in Nazi Israel, you'd understand why that was a great prophecy. If you were a Christian living somewhere in the Middle East today where Christians are being hunted and persecuted and burned alive, you would understand why that's such a great prophecy. And I could go on with the atrocities that are being committed against people today You see, this prophecy was about not only the Messiah being born, but this prophecy was about the crushing of Israel's oppressors. Moab, historically, was the worst oppressors of the people of God. They would cut open, and I I don't mean to be too graphic here, but they would slash open the, the, the bellies of those women carrying children and snatch their children literally out of their bodies while they were alive and crush their skulls. They were Horrible oppressive enemies. And when I read this scripture and I read what they were, we were looking forward and anticipating for you and I that speaks today of the oppression and the bondages that we face in our life that Christ has come to destroy the work of the devil. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? He has come. It's a picture of people whose lives were in bondage, it was a people whose lives were under oppression. And some of you this morning, you may have bondages in your mind. You may have memories that hold you captive. You may have bondages in your heart. You may have pain in your life that you've never been able to get beyond. You have said over and over, Lord, I forgive. Lord, I, I give this back to you. But somehow or another, the pain and the hurt of that has never left your life. And this morning I want you to know that when you look at the color amber, God is saying to you, you can have a fresh start. You can forgive yourself, for God has forgiven you. You can forgive others, for God has forgiven you this morning. Because He breaks the power of Moab. He crushes the enemy underneath our feet. And if we will humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, God will crush Satan even underneath our feet today. And that's what this prophecy was all about. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. You see, this is the promise of the Lord. The promise of the Lord was that He would break the powers of bondages. He said, I've come to set the captive free. I've come to liberate Satan always puts people in bondages, he promises peace, he promises fulfillment, he promises joy, but all he ever produces is life and slave is is death and slavery, when Jesus, all he ever produces is life and freedom. And that's what God does. That's what he always does. I want you to see the gospel in just three short words. First of all, the good, the good. God created this earth. He created this earth good. He created it for you and me. He created it as a home for us. He created this earth as a wonderful place. And after He created this earth, He created us. And He looked at us and He said it was very good. Then God, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, then God looked over all He had made and He saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. I read this verse, and I often think about what was that original creation in Eden like? No pain, no suffering, no death. I think about what God had originally intended for us. Even yesterday, this happens all the time, even yesterday a lady said to me, I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to Eve. Why? Why? I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to Adam and go, why, why? But here's, I'm just being honest with you. Here's here's the thing we have to deal with. God created it all good, but the bad is that we also choose evil. Look at this. The woman stared at the fruit. It looked beautiful and tasty, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her, and she ate some of the fruit, and her husband was there with her, and so she gave some to him, and he ate it too. And before you go, oh, and that's what I told this lady yesterday, before you go, oh, bad Eve, bad Eve, because what you're saying is, I wouldn't have done that, how many of you have thought that, come on, be honest, confession, we just sing about confessing, how many of you thought that, yeah, I thought if I'd been Adam, I'd have put that woman in her place, I'll tell you what I'd have done, I said, Eve, I rebuke you. Matter of fact, in my young and stupid days, and I know you never had any young and stupid days, I preached a sermon and people, amen, and men clapped and stood up, and I realized what a dumb man I was and what a dumb church that was. I stood up and said, if I'd have been Adam, I'd have taken authority over the devil and cast him out of the Garden of Eden. I'd have saved my wife and saved, I wouldn't have sinned against God. And years later, the Holy Ghost convicted me and said you have that same strain of sin in you you'd have done the same thing you see we see it in our children don't we you know when they're just little bitty things they fight sometime in the nursery they hit sometime in the nursery they bite one another in the nursery not in our nursery they do that at First Baptist but not at this nursery <laughs> you know one time when Ben was just a little toddler, <laughs> every Sunday morning, the same kid would steal his cookie, <laughs> just take his cookie away from him. So one morning when Miss Nina was packing up, passing out the cookies, Ben turned the cookie down. And she said, Ben, take a cookie. And she felt so bad because she thought Ben didn't want the cookie because the little boy would steal it again. So when she got done passing out the cookies, Ben got up and went over to the boy and hit him smack in the mouth. And then came to Miss Nina and asked for a cookie. (laughs) You see, that characteristic, that sin is in all of us. We see it manifested even in our babies and our children. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible is clear. It was passed down to us. That nature of sin was passed down to us. And some of us think we're better than others. And some races think they're better than others. And some nations think they're better than others. Some think they're more deserving than others. It's the reason they teach stupid things in school, like you've only got one loaf of bread that could feed three people for, you know, this many days till you're rescued. Who do you throw out of the boat? That's just stupid and immoral and wrong to teach garbage like that. It may be the nature of human beings, but there is a God who makes a way. And you see, that leads us from the good, the bad, to the brand new. And you see, I'm so thankful for the new life. I'm so thankful for the fresh start that God gives us. Read this with me if you would. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation. Let's read it together. I want to hear you read. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Can we give him a hand of promise for that this morning? Wow! Wow! Talk about a fresh start. If you'll pardon my English this morning, I ain't what I used to be, and I ain't what I'm going to be one day in Christ. Because there's a new life that God has given to each of us. And then I'd like you, if you would, to look at the color of green with me this morning. Because when I look at green, I'm reminded of the color of life. The color of life. It is fascinating to me that every single biological organism Depends upon plants. Every single living, I mean, meat eaters depend upon plants. Because I I was told, I was doing some research in this, and I was told that one of the first things a carnivore does is to to devour the, 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 the intestines and the stomach of an animal that it slays because there it gets the food products and green products that it needs. I know that sounds kind of gross, but follow with me. You see, somehow or another, God created this world, listen, God created this world so that plants take light, and through the process of photosynthesis, they begat life. They take light, and through the process of photosynthesis, they create food for you and for me to eat. And so, Pastor Corey needs to learn how to eat more salad, doesn't he, Jeanette's? Pastor Rick, you need to know a salad is not a piece of lettuce on a hamburger. You need green vegetables. You know, God created us to depend upon life because without those plants, there would be no delicious hamburger. There would be no delicious venison or lamb chops. It's what God creates for life is dependent upon the plant life that we have. And when I look at green, I see it as being the color of life The Bible says this, look at John chapter 1 and verse 4, that Jesus was the source of life and that life was the light of humanity. You see, man cannot live by bread alone, but man can only live by every word of God. And in Him was life, and the Bible says in that prologue of John chapter 1 that the light was the Word, the Word made flesh. That's what the word incarnate means, is that the Word became flesh, and God was manifested among us in Jesus Christ. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that today? Now, what gets me is this. There's so much water, and this makes so much sense, because our world doesn't have a sense of purpose to it. Our world doesn't have a sense of purposefulness to it. Because our world tells us that somehow or another life happened because a lightning bolt struck a pool of amino acids. And when that lightning bolt struck a pool of amino acids, life was formed. And over billions of years, we have slid from the goo to you. And so therefore... It was all an accident and even as I was reading this week an article in the Washington Post one day astronomers say just like it all happened by an accident is going to end by a cosmic accident when a comet or a star hits this planet and life as we know it will be done away with it's why so many people feel this lack of purpose and meaning in life why is it that the highest rate of suicide today is among young men when they should have promise when they should have hope why is it the millennials today are spending a significant portion of their income on the lottery rather than saving and investing it it's because they've been taught there is no hope there is no future But I ask another question this morning, sir. Why does Pastor Rick Warren's book after 20 years, The Purpose Driven Life, continue to be one of the best-selling books because deep in the hearts of every single one of us, we know that we are more than an accident. We know that we are not goo that became you. We know we were created in the image of God and we were made for God Almighty's pleasure. Can we give him a hand of praise for that today? Yes. You see, life, your life, my life was purposefully created. Your life has meaning. Your life has purpose. We need you. I need you. Every one of you. It's the reason we hurt, if you'll let me come back to Fred Schaff again. It's the reason we hurt when someone like Fred goes to heaven. We miss him. It's the reason that some of you hurt this morning because you miss a loved one that will not be around your table this year for Christmas, because their life had purpose and significance. But don't you ever let anyone lie to you and tell you their life was an accident, their life didn't have purpose. Those who put their faith in Jesus are in the presence of God celebrating And they're waiting on you and I to come home. That's what green represents to me. Jesus was so certain of life's purpose that he taught us about the wisdom of God and the love of God, the knowledge of God and how we should know him and serve him. Jesus was so certain, please don't miss this. Jesus was so certain about your life's purpose. That's why he went to Calvary. Do you forget what he prayed in the Garden of Eden? Lord, if there's any, Father, if there's any other way possible, let this cup. It's not that he was not willing to suffer. It's not that he was not willing to die. Look at me. Don't miss this. He became sin for you. Remember the bad? He was all created good. He was sinless. Remember my prayer? Christ is subsistent with the Father That means that Christ didn't get His life from the Father. That means that Christ wasn't begat. Christ is eternal. He has always been and always will. And we may never understand all there is to know about God, but God lovingly reveals Himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God took sin upon Himself in order that you and I could discover and experience the new life that we have today in Christ. That's the reason I say green represents to me the color of life. And then I think about the color of gold, the color of excellence. The color of excellence, and you may want to write, if you're following along on your iPad or your iPhone or Android phone with notes, you may want to write achievement as well. I'm going to make an honest, I made it for the first time in my life. I've never even told my wife this, but I made it for the first time in my life in the first service this morning. And that is, when I was a child, I love nothing more than getting a gold star by my name. How many of you remember that? Do you still teachers do you still do that in school today? Do you still give gold stars? Yeah, some of you are nodding. Oh, I love getting gold stars. And in our Sunday school, in our Sunday school, man, there was always a chart and you got. Gold. If you wanted to make me angry as a little boy, just say we weren't going to Sunday school, we were just going to church on Sunday morning. I'd pitch a fit. I tell them they were all going to well I didn't, but I thought they were all going to hell because I needed that gold star. You know, and we still give out gold pins and little gold things about years ago. Becky and I gave away or just got rid of a bunch of plaques I had received over the years and things like that, just trying to just get rid of some stuff and minimize. And recently I came across a, a gold pin that I had been given and it was surrounded with some semi-precious stones and And I I looked at that, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to see if I can sell that one and get some money and give to missions out of it. Because it's got to be, it's real gold, and it's surrounded with all these these little rubies on it. And so I thought, I'm going to see if that's worth anything. We're motivated by that. Men retired. When they used to retire, they'd get a gold watch. When I look at gold, I think about the fact that everything that Christ did was excellent. The Bible says like this. Luke writes and he says he went about doing good and preaching the gospel. Actually, he says he went about preaching the gospel and doing good. Everything God does is excellent. Have we found anything in creation that God has not done that is not excellent? God created this wonderful planet. God created this wonderful life. God created man and woman. The ability to love each other, to enjoy life together. To have children and raise those children. Everything God does is good. And this is what Jesus said about himself. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Now you've either got to be the Son of God or you've got to be a madman to say that. I mean, think of that's a, that's a wild statement. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We were watching a Christmas movie the other night at the house, and I said, Look at that lady. Doesn't she remind you? And I called a lady's name here in our church. And the whole family says, No, be quiet, watch the movie. I go, Yes, she does. And I got up and went to the TV and I pointed out her cheeks and her eyes and, Dad, watch the movie. She looks like her. And I sat back down. I'm terrible to watch a movie with. But you see, we see the likeness of people, but if you've seen Jesus, you sing the Father. That word subsistent is important. That word begotten is important. I know the modern translations today, and I use them, say one and only, but there's so much more to one and only. He is the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is God Almighty. When we sing to Jesus, when we worship Jesus, we're worshiping God. He reveals Himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It all started when God says, light up the darkness. And our lives filled with light as we saw and understood God in the face of Christ. Oh, bright and beautiful. I typed it in my manuscript and then I took it out and I thought, how can you understand God? And then I'm home again and I'm thinking, if the Bible says we can understand God through Christ, then why would I even take it out of the manuscript? So I'm here today to say to you, we may not understand everything about God, but we can understand God by gazing into the face of Jesus Christ as He's revealed in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can you say amen this morning? You know what God is like. and He doesn't appear to us as a fire. He doesn't appear to us as a, as a, as a big, huge, terrifying monster. But He's born in a manger He grows up and he grows in favor with both God and human beings. He goes about, as Luke says, preaching the gospel and doing good. I want to say to you this morning, God has purpose for your life. But God also has excellence for your life. And you will only find that by building, listen, building on the system that God has set in place. And that's faith in Christ. Now, just follow with me. Under green, I told you, purposelessness. So, how does the world measure success? World measures success, and some of you in here know this because you used to be trapped by this. We've talked about it. World measures success by education, world measures success by wealth, world measures success by achievement. But that's not how God measures success in our lives at all. You see, when you build your lives around money and wealth and achievements, you can find out your self-esteem is easily shattered. Your self-image is easily shattered. How often have I heard these words in 43 years of ministry? Pastor, my self-image is shot. My business went under. Everything I built my life upon, I, what do I have to show for it now? How often have I heard these words from a mother? How, everything I did was for my children and my children don't even call. They don't come home for the holidays. My, my self-worth is gone and is shot. Friends, I want you to know, if you build your self-worth, your self-image on anything but God, you are building upon a foundation that is sure eventually to wash away. But when you build your life upon Christ, you are building your life upon a solid rock. Come hell or high water, you know who you are in Jesus, a new creation in Christ. Hallelujah. That's what he's saying to us. Everything God does, He does with excellence. There are millions and millions of self-help books out there, and I wouldn't denigrate a one of them. Thank God for all the practical help we can learn from self-help books. But I will tell you right now, you will never find what you're looking for, for purpose and excellence in life, until first you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then... I want you to look at the color of blue this morning. The color of blue, the color of the earth. Now I'm really you're going to have to forgive me here because as I confess to the first service I'm stretching this a little bit because you won't find this in the Bible. I find a lot of things about blue in the Bible and we don't have time to go into all of that but I want you blue was used in the temple it was used in the tabernacle some very important things about blue but when man first went into space One of the first things we discovered was this is a blue planet. Matter of fact, it's called the Blue Marble. How many of you have heard that before? The Blue Marble. And you probably, like me, you have a screensaver on your computer that shows the blue planet Earth, our home, suspended in the blackness of space. In 1968, the Apollo 8 mission, when the astronauts were circling the Earth, they read from Genesis chapter 1. And though they recognized that what they were riding on was an Apollo rocket that was a miracle of the creativeness and inventiveness of human beings, what they were witnessing too was that they trusted their life and they trusted their safety into the hands of God Almighty. You may not know this, but there was a lawsuit that was launched against NASA and the U.S. government because those astronauts read the creation story from space. Just a few years later when the second man who walked on the moon... You know the name of the first man, Neil Armstrong, but the second man was Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin walked upon the moon and Buzz Aldrin took with him and he didn't even tell any of the other astronauts about it because of the lawsuit that had been filed against NASA. But he took with him communion and he celebrated Holy Communion on the surface of the moon. The only religious thing that the church observes, the only sacred ceremony the church observes that has been celebrated on the face of the moon in outer space. And there he took communion and reminded himself of the blood and the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when you look at the color blue, you see the color of the water. You see the ultimate expression of life. Not only can life not exist without light, but it cannot exist without water. And I want you to know, you and I cannot exist. We cannot live without Jesus Christ. Would you read John three sixteen with me this morning? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember how Jesus described, us, described Himself? He's the water of life. And He says, If you give your life to Me out of your bellies shall flow rivers of water. Rivers of life. One of the things that I love about Michigan is how blue the water is here. If you go to my hometown, the water is as red as some of your sweaters flowing through that Georgia clay. But up here, I remember calling my dad from Mackinac City. Dad, you cannot believe how blue the waters are here. Jay Mooney called me that very same day, our National Youth Secretary, He asked me, he says, Denny, what do you think about Michigan? I said, Jay, you caught it at the perfect time. Even, I've been to the Mediterranean. I've been all over the Greek seas. And I said, I've never seen water this blue, and it's fresh. At that time, I was dumb enough to think you could drink it. I said, you can drink this water. Now we've got signs posted everywhere, don't eat the fish out of here. I don't even swim in that water. If it's not highly chlorinated, I don't go in it. Jay was laughing, I was laughing, and imagine rivers of living water when you give your life to Christ that flow out of you. Why? Because God so loved us. And then white, the color of clarity. I need a lot of things clarified in life. There were so many times that Jesus would say, how many of you remember this? Raise your hand if you do. Jesus would say, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Do you remember reading that in the Gospels? Raise your hand? What was he doing? He was clarifying a situation. You have heard it said. And then Jesus would just shine the light and suddenly things were clear. Occasionally you'll hear people say, it's as plain as black and white. And they'll point to a page or a paper so that you can see it. Because we need clarity on a situation. You see, wherever there is confusion in your life, wherever there is confusion in the world, God brings clarity. God brings clarity. This week I was in a coffee shop yesterday, as a matter of fact. I had a 7.30 meeting there, and after that a man that just towers over me that I really like, and I invited him to church today, and he's not here. And I told him, I said, I'm going to tell the church if you're not here. And I invited him to Christmas Eve service, and I hopefully he's going to be here. But he was mad as a wet-sitting hen. I mean, red face frowning, and he was going on about the impeachment. And I just didn't have time to listen to it. I was trying to hammer out emails, and some of you may be mad about the impeachment. And I just looked at him, and I said, look, and I held up both hands, like, I surrender. Christmas is about Jesus Let's talk about Jesus. And suddenly that red face went away and those frowns went away. And he broke out in a smile. and He says, you would do that. You see, Jesus brings clarity to everything. Impeachments may come and go. Democrats and Republicans come and go. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the reason for the season. Somebody give him a hand of praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. He saved us, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9. He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. Oh, I'm so glad that's there. I am so glad that's there. Not because of anything we've done. I love that phrase we sang this morning. We confess our sins. Jesus taught us to pray. Forgive us of our sins. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It's already been earned for me. There's nothing I can do to deserve it. It was a gift. He saved us, not because of anything we do. Notice this word again, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, and now it's been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death And brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Circle that phrase, light through the gospel. And then finally, my favorite color of Christmas, but I don't want to use it to talk about the blood of Christ. I want to talk to you about red being the color of danger. The color of danger. This gospel we preach is serious this gospel we believe is serious. Why would we ever count the blood of Jesus as unworthy? Trample it beneath our feet by living in unconfessed sin, living in bitterness or hatred toward anyone. Why would we ever count the blood of Jesus as unworthy but not Using the one life that God has given us for His purpose and glory. You're never going to discover the real joy of life in gold stars and gold pens and plaques. You're never really going to discover the purpose and the joy of life even if you have 5,000 Facebook friends. But you discover it when you use your life for the glory of God. But at the same time, listen to me. Look at me carefully. I love it when some of you just start closing up when I get to the last point. I'm not finished yet. Okay? I'm not finished yet. The best is yet to come. So hang in here with me. You see, you may be convicted, but you're not condemned. Even if you're a lost person, See, the Bible says in John chapter 3 and verse 17, read this loud and strong with me. Put it up, please. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. There have been plenty of people who've wanted to condemn me. There have been plenty of people who've wanted to condemn you, perhaps. But God is not in the business of condemning people. God loves you this morning. And He sent His Son that if you put your faith in Him, you will discover new life and new purpose. You'll still be you, but you'll be a brand new you. You won't be a new and improved you. If you want to sell something, just put new and improved on it. One of my friends, Mel Ming, the our former president of the Assemblies of God Seminary, said this week, he said, Burger King says, their new, I hope there's no Burger King owners in here, but Burger King says their new meatless burger tastes as good as their regular hamburger. That just tells you how bad their regular hamburger is. I don't need a new and improved me. I need a new me. A new me, a new creation. You need a fresh start in life as well. And that condemnation does not come, it may come from the world, it may come from your conscience, it may come from other people, but you don't have to accept it, not from other people, not from your conscience, for God is not condemning you, God is here to save His people from their sins. That's what He does. This is condemnation, the Bible says, that light has come into the world and that people choose darkness rather than light years ago I was when I was still teaching discovering woodland in this little room right here there was a young woman who had given her heart to Christ and been meeting with her and she was growing and one of the ladies in our church you know was kind of walking her through the basics and she was a young mom she looked at me one that that class and when I was explaining what communion meant and she says oh pastor I dread Communion Sunday. I said, you dread it? I said, it's my favorite Sunday of the most. She goes, oh, I hate it. And I said, why? Tears begin to flow down her face. She, she says, because I remember all of my sins. And I said, sweetheart, the purpose of communion is to remind you that God never remembers our sins. But He casts them in the sea of forgetfulness. We examine our hearts and confess any current sins that we may be guilty of, any attitudes. But I says, God never thinks about your sins and He wants to free you from that today. Suddenly, her whole countenance changed and the lady who was walking her through the bases and the classes just gripped her hand and we had a moment, everyone in that room, a a moment of prayer and rejoicing. God remembers our sins against us so nothing... Ever, ever is held against us. My prayer, especially since that time, is God, please don't ever let me obstruct the clarity of Christ. Don't ever let anything in my life, in my preaching, in my witness, in my dealings with people obstruct the clarity of Christ. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. Woodland, you're the light of the world. Nobody lights a candle and puts it under a bushel, but Jesus wants us to shine with His light. And my prayer is that, however imperfectly, we reflect the glory of God like the moon reflects the sun. Remember, rivers of life flow from you. And our purpose is to reveal the glory of God. One of my favorite all-time movies, and I've shared this with you before, was Chariots of Fire. I don't know if you remember, some of you have been around for a while, but a few years ago we showed several clips of it here on the screen. It opens, if you remember, in a cemetery. Harold Abramson's funeral in a church cemetery. You watch the movie and you get the story of Eric Liddell and Harold Abramson. how they won the Olympics through the baton race, how, Harold, how Eric won when you know, he fell and got up and ran again. What you may not know is that Harold was Jewish. And over and over, Eric would hold out Jesus Christ, tell Harold about Jesus. After the Olympics the king, the crown asked Harold and Eric to go throughout England and just encourage kids to athletics because they were both very moral men. And never let it be said the sinners can't be moral people. That's not what I'm saying today. They were both very moral men, good men. Harold and Eric went throughout England, encouraging kids to live moral lives, to participate in athletics. And then when Harold accepted God's call on his, excuse me, Eric accepted God's call in his life to be a missionary to China, Harold begged him not to go. He says, Eric, we make such a good team. They were famous for the way they would pass off the batons. Those of us that watch the Olympics, we've grown. Even when we watch those videos of when Olympic runners have dropped that baton. Those of you that ran track, you groan grown in your memory perhaps of when you dropped the baton. But Eric told Harold, he says, Harold, I have to answer the call of God. He said, but Harold, before I go, I one more time want to ask you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Harold told him, I said, Eric, I respect you. I respect what you believe. But Eric, I'm a Jew. I can't accept Jesus as the Messiah. And you see, when you become a Christian, now listen to me. When you become a Christian, if you're Jewish, you don't give up being Jewish. Any more than... When I became a Christian, I gave up being a U.S. citizen. Any more than when I've led people to Christ in Brazil, they became a Brazilian citizen. They, didn't, they gave up their Brazilian citizenship. When you become a Christian, you're not receiving a religion. You're not changing nationality. You're receiving Christ into your heart. You're receiving life. You're receiving forgiveness of sin. When Eric was killed in China, he was executed by the Japanese during their occupation of China. Harold Abramson went on to become a very wealthy man, successful businessman. And when he got the news, and this is in his memoirs, he said, when I read it in the paper, I immediately remembered Eric saying to me, accept Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. And he said, it was like Eric was standing right there with me. And I rose up and I extended my hand and I he said, I accepted the baton of life that Jesus Christ gives. And he was born again. Now you know That movie opens up with the name of a Jewish man buried in a church cemetery. I'm just asking you three things this morning. Would you accept God's victory over sin in your life? Would you accept God's victory over every bondage, over purposelessness, over every memory, over every sin? Whatever you, would you accept his victory and then would you accept that there is a purpose for your life there's a purpose for your children's life there's a purpose for your marriage and would you not give in to purposelessness would you not give in to the devil if your husband is an unbeliever don't give in to a lack of faith but pray in the spirit if your children have wandered from faith Pray in the Spirit. God has a purpose for your life. If the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, and would you receive everything that God has for you? Would you get up out of your chair and would you hold out your hand and say, I receive the gift of forgiveness in your life in Jesus Christ. And in no way, in no way reject any of those promises. What you need from God, look at me, don't you miss this, God's talking to somebody right now. i never say that unless I know it. God's talking to you right now, so you pay attention, don't move. What you need from God, you may feel like it's as remote as one marked silver dollar and two feet of silver dollars across the state of Texas. And you say it's hopeless. And in the fullness of time, God sent His Son. In the fullness of time, God will give you exactly what you need this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, my first prayer is for anyone here that may not know you as their Lord and Savior. the God I'm holding out to them. You're holding out to them the promise of eternal life in Christ. If that's you, would you just simply pray right now? Just pray right after me. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he took my sin upon himself. and Though I don't understand it all, I surrender my life to you. I accept your gift of forgiveness, due life, and a fresh start. In Jesus' name. Would you just love him now? Because I want to talk to some other people. If you need something from God this morning, I want you to remember every promise. God wants you to remember that prophetic word. It was surely made for you too. I want you to remember the color of amber, that God has a fresh start for you. You may be starting afresh after divorce. You may be a single parent worried that your children may be caught up in the chaos of life, but God will be everything your children needs. Just like the color of green, He is the fuel for life. Some of you here this morning, you have been striving after the wrong gold. There's more than gold in this life. There's God's purpose for you. Some of you this morning, you just need clarity. You're so confused. I believe that God has spoken to you even during this message today. And the sum this morning, I want you to really take to heart. There is no condemnation. You're His child. He loves you. If you will confess your sin, you say, I'm a Christian pastor, I can't believe I did this. Huh, I can. You probably would feel the same way about me. But God doesn't condemn us, He offers us grace in Christ. So, Lord, right now, I pray you will breathe across this wonderful church and touch us all so that we walk not in condemnation, but we walk in grace. We walk with the fuel of life in Christ, and we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit so that people can see Jesus clearly through us this Christmas. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everybody agreed and said, Amen, and Amen, and Amen. Would you give the Lord one more hand of praise, Pastor Rick?